love that song. Let me ask you some. Yes, let's celebrate it. Have you guys found that love that's, that's greater than life itself? Have you found that love? It's an incredible love. It's an incredible love. And, and that's why we've gathered this morning is to experience. And here, here's something that somebody needs to hear today. That no matter what you're going through, what I'm fixing to say is not prophetic or profound. It is simple truth. There's something in your life you're facing. It's a season you're going through. It's a doubt that you can't overcome. It's a pain that cannot be healed. It's a wound that keeps getting infected. There is a love greater. His name is Jesus. And it's why we've gathered this morning. And, and I want to say this, and I don't want to make those who are here this morning that maybe you're, you're not sure what you think about him or you're, you're here because someone invited you and you really, you're not where you want to be with Jesus or maybe you're not even sure if you believe in all that. I've got some good news for you. You're in a safe place today. We'll meet you where you are. And what that means is this, there's no prerequisite to be a part of what we're doing. You're safe and you're welcome here regardless of how much theological training you have or how much church experience you have. In fact, let me tell you something. I would rather you have less church experience because we become jaded when we become religious. We're here to talk about a man named Jesus whose love is greater than life itself. And what that means is this. Listen, God's blessed me with two little babies, and that's an incredible love. And my parents know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's a love that's greater than that that we can't fathom. been in this series called Gifts for four weeks. Today's the fifth part. And we've been talking about how during the Christmas season, a lot of times what we do is we make these extravagant lists. We spend excessive amounts of money to give people gifts that they'll love. And it is about giving. But what we want to do this Christmas season here at City Lights, what we've been talking about is instead of just giving gifts, let's, let's focus on receiving the gifts that Jesus wants to give us. And this morning, I think God's got a powerful word for all of us in here, whether you are a believer in Jesus, whether you're not sure. It's going to be a good, good word for all of us. I've had the opportunity to preach from this particular passage before. But what I love about it, somebody tell me if you know what I'm talking about. There are times when you can go to God's word and something new is shown to you because it's alive. John chapter 8 this morning. I want you to remain standing as we read these scriptures. And I want to set what's going on uh, up in, in context. Jesus was teaching in the temple complex as he often did. And often there was a crowd gathered around him. And, and you're going to see in this crowd there's religious people, there's Pharisees, there's scribes. There's all kinds of people around him because there's something profound about the Savior that everybody was welcome around him. And let me tell you something as the pastor of this church, I will die on the hill making sure that every person that comes here feels welcome. That's important to me. It was an attribute that Jesus had, and it's an attribute that this young pastor desires to have. There, Jesus is teaching in the temple complex. There's all kinds of people gathered around him, and these Pharisees and scribes, basically these religious leaders, they come to Jesus, and they put him in this situation where they're trying to trap him because, you know, they weren't for Jesus. This is where we pick up our story. We're in John chapter 8, verse 3. Remain standing as we read this. It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Verse 4. Teacher, 
Hang on to that. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught, listen, in the act of committing adultery. Twice in two verses, we see this woman was caught in the act. Now, I know we're all adults in here for the most part, and I don't want to have to get too graphic, but two times she's caught in the act, so you just let your mind run. You can imagine she was caught in the act. Her sin was obvious. This morning before a holy God, our sin is very blatant. She was caught in the act of committing adultery, verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So they're talking to Jesus and they say, so what do you say? What do you say? Verse 6. They ask this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. I'll explain that in a little bit. Don't get caught up in what you don't understand right now. Listen, Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again. Sounds like a bad service. He sat down, he stood up. He sat down, he stood up. Then he stooped down again and he continued writing on the ground. Verse 9. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left. How many times do you know? How many times have you experienced? When all else forsakes you, there is but one who will be remain standing. When everything from your life is, is tragically taken through death, through cancer, through criticism, through sickness, through slander, there is one that remains standing in the center with you. There is one. Only he was left with the woman in the center. Verse 10. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Church, are you ready to hear a word from God this morning? You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, worship team. So we, we've been in this series called Guilty, excuse me, Gifts. And this morning specifically, and we're in part five, I want to talk to you about not guilty. Not guilty. Any criminals in here? No, I'm kidding. Don't raise your hand. It's okay if you are. It's okay if you are. Yeah, we'll, we'll meet you where you are. We said this. Criminals are allowed here. Just probably don't fill out an application to volunteer in city kids, okay? Um. I'm just kidding, but seriously, kind of. So So we're in part five. We're talking about not guilty. And one of the greatest gifts that God gives us that we want to receive this this Christmas is the gift of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. And forgiveness is is a strange thing because it's the greatest thing we need from Jesus, yet it's the least thing that we offer to humanity. When you study the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, there's two types of forgiveness that we read about. And there's God forgiving people and then people forgiving people. And I've not always been the best at forgiveness, honestly. Um, in fact, there have been times where I, I'm terrible at it. And um, I shared this with some of you all a, a while back ago, but as an 18-year-old kid, basically, 18-year-old kid, I signed up for the United States Army. I went to basic, and then uh, after basic, I went to what you call AIT. Everybody does it. It's called advanced individual training. It's for your job. And there in AIT, uh, one morning, we did PT, which is, you know, physical training, push-ups, running, sit-ups, all that good stuff. 
And the army provided us with these great, great, comfortable, cushy mats that were like really hard foam about that thick. And that was a joke. And we would, that's what we would lay on, uh, on the ground to do push-ups and sit-ups. And every soldier was assigned one of them. And you had to have your PT mat. Well, one morning I remember waking up, uh, laying on my bunk. I slept on the bottom bunk. And my head was this way. And I can remember opening my eyes. And I remember this guy kind of, I remember him, not in the moment. This is afterwards. That don't make sense. But I, I look up and this guy is looking down at me. And at the time, I was thinking, that's just weird. I was tired. I had like 10 minutes before we had to get up and, and do that. And so I just closed my eyes. And well, our, uh, our guys turn the lights on. We get up. We start getting dressed for PT. And uh, I always kept my mat under my bed or my bunk. And so I, I got up, got dressed, got all my gear on, looked under my bunk, and my PT mat was gone. And listen, uh, you talk about instant fear, wanting to have to go to your drill sergeant and be like, hey, I've lost my PT mat, drill sergeant. Uh, it just would not work over too well. And so I began panicking, looking around. You know, it's one of those things where, like, you know you know where you put something, but your mind plays tricks on you, and you, so you start looking in really random places, just like out of desperate hope, I guess, desperation. Well, so a long story short, I did have to wind up going to my drill sergeant and be like, hey, I'm not sure what's happened, so I got one that morning. Well, later on that afternoon, I started, I started being able to recount what had happened that morning. And what I realized was that this dude had come into my room and when I looked up, he was looking to see if I was awake because somebody had stolen his PT mat. And for whatever reason, he had just randomly selected me to steal mine. Well, the Christian thing to do would be, once I realized that, to just forgive him and let dead dogs lie. However, I wasn't feeling like being too Christian then as an 18-year-old young man. And so I can remember, instead of just extending this forgiveness to him, I got some of my buddies together, and we rallied, and we got a plan. And one day during Chow, we finished early, and we went back to his room, and we just devastated his locker. We drowned it, or we drenched his mattress and sheets and, uh, and soaked him in water. And anybody that's ever been in the military or have someone that's in the military, uh, you must understand that there is a high level of expectation to keep things uh, clean and in order. In fact, I can remember our lockers that we used to hang our clothes in. Everything had to be in a certain order. Every button had to be buttoned. Socks had to be rolled up a certain way. They could only be, you know, by your underwear. It's just very, very tedious, and it would take a long time. And we ransacked it. We made it look like a tornado came through there. And I was quite proud of myself for doing it. And I often still feel good when I share the story, though I know I shouldn't. <laughs> I did get my PT mat back, by the way. And it never happened again. So uh, moral of the story is, don't turn the other cheek. Y'all have a good day, okay? <laughs> no, I'm just totally kidding, honestly. Totally kidding. Uh, that's, you should if you can. Um, so I've not always been good at it. You know, a lot of times when it comes to humanity, we want to offer revenge. For when we feel like we've been wronged, it's hard for us to extend that forgiveness. And let me tell you why that is. It's, real, it's really simple. This isn't... Um, some incredible answer that's going to bring revelation to you, maybe for some of you, because simplicity is often profound. But if we would understand how much the Father forgives us, it would be a lot easier to extend that forgiveness to someone else. And herein lies this problem. A lot of times we don't understand the forgiveness we need because we don't think that we need it. Maybe because you're not a drug addict, you don't feel that you're that bad of a person. Maybe because you've been married your whole life to one person, 
you don't see the need to, hey, I've been good. I've been with my partner. I've always kept a job. I've provided. And what we must understand is this, church, is that every person in here, regardless of your past, regardless of your education, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, every single person in here is in need of God's forgiveness because compared to him, we are nothing, basically. We, are, we offer him filthy rags on your best day. And if we would stop comparing ourselves to humanity and look upwards towards divinity, then we would realize it's a lot easier to acknowledge the log in my own eye instead of being an expert and pointing out the speck in someone else's. Right? Specifically, Forgiveness is an attribute of God, and if we are Christ followers, then we too should display that. Listen, this is a, a man named um, Lewis B. Smead said this. He said, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. And you, you, a couple other things you've got to understand about forgiveness, and particularly what I like about this is when you recall it, because forgiveness does not necessarily mean that you always forget you should, though. And let me tell you why. This is a whole other message, but I'll just touch on it for a minute. People say, I can forgive them, but I can't forget them. Well, I'm just so glad that God doesn't have that mentality. I'm going to forgive Peyton, but I'm not going to forget about it. Because, listen, if you, if you don't forget about it, then you've not really forgiven. Because what happens is six months later, you bring it back up the next time you get hurt or pissed off. You will know that it has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Forgiveness is not necessarily about um, condoning another person's behavior as it is about extending the love of Christ to them as he has forgiven you. It's so easy for us to point out the wrongdoings of everybody else, but we have such a hard time admitting our own. I think what we're going to find today is we kind of, I want us to go back into John chapter 8 a little bit and kind of um, dive a little bit deeper in that. I want us to focus on this, on understanding that there is a need for us to be forgiven. And if we can acknowledge that, once we receive that gift, it's a lot easier to extend it. Now, I'm not suggesting that when you walk up out of here today that you're just going to, every person that's ever hurt you, that you're going to call and be like, hey, you know what? Man, you're good. I forgive you. I think Christ has the ability to do that. I think he has the power to do that. But what I want you to know this, this Christmas season, today, this Sunday in your life, is that you are forgiven. And let's just see if we can all get on the same playing field here today, regardless if you believe in Jesus or, or you're skeptical or you're somewhere in between. Have you ever done something that you're shameful of or that you regret? Anybody ever done anything like that? That's all of us. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to single particular people out. But is there anybody in here, and you just kind of self-inventory mental check, you've ever made a decision or you've done something that you feel like it's tough for you to receive forgiveness from that from God? Or maybe you're, you're, you feel guilty about that or you wonder, how could he forgive me? Or why would he forgive me? And here, let me tell you what my biggest problem is when it comes to forgiveness. Receiving God's forgiveness um, as a Christ follower is, prior to me becoming a, a Christ follower, I can understand, like, the behavior I had back then. Because basically, I was just a moron. 
that didn't have biblical values. I didn't follow Jesus. An idiot, pretty much. So it makes sense to me why those sins would be forgiven. Because there was a certain level, if you will, of ignorance. My biggest problem is since becoming a Christ follower, all the blatant sins I've still done, knowing him. That's what makes me feel like I can't receive forgiveness because I know better. Am I talking to anybody in here with that? So then, this story is for those of us who have blatantly fallen short of the glory of God. And here is the good news, which if you're not sure, Jesus is the good news. It's all good news. I think what we're going to see in this story is that forgiveness is not just about you. God's not forgiven you because of anything you've done. It's because of who he is. It's because of who he is. So I want us to go back and just look at it just for a little bit. So we read there in verses 3 and 4. We're going to pull some scripture back up, but just hang with me. In verses 3 and 4, we read that this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And these religious leaders, they bring her before Jesus, and basically, she was rightfully charged with the crime. Rightfully. I mean, she was caught in the act, and there was no denying it. There was no, somebody posted something on Facebook, and I'm pretty sure it's true. I mean, this lady, she was caught. There was photos on Instagram. There was proof. Do you know what I mean? She was caught in the act. Her sin was blatant. It was very, very obvious. Now, they bring this woman before Jesus and basically say, hey, in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, if you will, they say the law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? They're trying to trap Jesus. I'm going to preach and teach just a little bit, if that's okay with you. I want you to leave fired up, and I want you to leave knowing a little bit more than you knew when you came here. So they bring her before him. The law says this, what do you say? This is verse 6, the first part, verse 8. It says, they ask this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So here's the dilemma. Here's, Here's what they're trying to trap him with. The law says to stone her to death. What do you say? And here's the dilemma for Jesus. If he says yes put her to death, then basically, don't hang on my words, but he, he loses his reputation for being the compassionate Savior that he was supposed to be. He loses his reputation for saying that he has the ability to forgive sins, right? Then he could be charged with blasphemy. On the flip side of that, if he says, no, she does not deserve it, then he faces basically denying the law. That's what they tried to trap him. Really, there was no good answer he could give. It's kind of like men when your wife asks you how she looks in this dress. You're not going to lie. Or maybe you are. I don't know. You should, I guess. Let me take, I'm getting nervous. Is my wife in here? She's in see the kids? Okay. I'm just going to back out of that illustration, okay? Heart started pounding for a second. There was no good answer that Jesus could give. 
They try to trap him. Now, these, these, these verses are not on the screen, but if you take notes, which I encourage you to do, you can write these down. This is Leviticus 20.10, describing the law. It says, if a man commits adultery with a married woman, if he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Can I say something that's really strong? Can I? What do you suppose would happen to marriages today if this was still going to be the outcome? This is Deuteronomy twenty two twenty four. So not only were they to be put to death, it was shameful, public, and humiliating. Listen, you must take the two of them out to the gate of that city and stone them to death. That's Deuteronomy twenty two twenty four. So not only were they going to be stoned to death, that's what the law said, but it was to take them out in front of the city, in front of everybody, and do this publicly. So really what you see when they bring this woman is they're expecting a violent outcome at the hands of Jesus because they're trying to trap him. Listen, if he denies it, then they can charge him. If he confirms it, she gets killed and he loses his reputation. There is no win-win there. But I love, I love how Jesus responds. He's so smooth. This is the last part of verse six. Pull that up. So they asked to trap him. Look, it says, Jesus stooped down and started riding on the ground with his finger. Now this is amazing because here he's put in this really tough situation and Jesus doesn't even respond. Sometimes you need to quit giving attention to the naysayers in your life. Sometimes they're not even worthy of a response, right? I had this, this guy post something crazy on a post I posted on Facebook the other day. And honestly, I wanted to get on there and just blast, but I was afraid some of y'all would get on there and see it and then judge me. Sometimes the, the, the haters in your life, the people that are naysayers, you just don't even respond to them. Do you know what I'm talking about, Joe? You don't even give them the time of day. Right? I love it. They put Jesus in this very, very strong predicament, and he doesn't even respond. Something else, if you take notes or just for the sake of knowing, this is the only time in recorded scripture that our Savior is mentioned writing anything. It's important to know because there are stronger details here than just the story going on. It's the only time in Scripture that Jesus has mentioned writing anything. It says that Jesus stooped down on the ground and began writing with his finger. Listen to verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. I love it. Jesus basically says, who are you? See, they thought there was one of two answers. He was either going to deny it or confirm it. And either way, he was screwed, basically. And so was she, for that matter. But I love how when we come to Jesus with basically, it has to be this way. There's the only way Jesus makes a new way. Has anybody ever experienced Jesus do something new in your life when it seems like there was only one of two ways? He's a Savior that can be trusted. He's a Savior that can be trusted. This is not on the screen either, but Jesus, he says, hey, Basically, you've heard it. Don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. And by the way, we all live in glass houses in here. This is not on the screen, but you can write this down as well. This is Matthew 7, 3. It says, Jesus says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log on your own? That's what Jesus is telling these religious leaders. And, I, and see, this is where Jesus takes the law, and he doesn't, the law meaning the, uh, 
the first books of the Bible that they lived by. Jesus did not abolish it. What I mean is he did not put it away. He fulfilled it and he brought a new way in. One of the greatest things that Christ followers miss today is there is freedom in Christ. There is freedom in him. Like we're no longer bound by the oppression of law. We talked about this last week. You know, does, does the Old Testament, is it still um, relevant for us today? Because we live under grace in the New Testament. We said that grace without the law is chaos. So absolutely, it gives us guidelines and boundaries. But there's freedom in Christ. There's freedom. And, and Jesus is telling him, hey, man, you have no right to be acting like this. You have no right to bring this woman. And I would say it like this. You have no right to be judging the other person's sins in your life. Though it might be disgusting and despiteful and tear you up, if you would look at yourself this way, vertically, instead of horizontally, you may have a healthier perspective on what forgiveness is. And so listen, Jesus then, by giving this answer, hey, you can throw a stone if you live in a glass house, but you know it's going to happen. Then he flips this dilemma back on them. Let me teach you just for a moment. So they, they, they try to trap him by basically if he denies it, confirms it, either way, it's not a good answer. But by him giving this answer, now he flips it back on them, and this is why. Because in Jewish law, anytime there was a capital punishment, a, a death penalty case, the stoning would have to take place by the one who brought the charge, Okay? So what that means then is this, is these Pharisees who bring this case before him, if this woman's guilty and if they want to proceed, then they have to be the one to pick up a stone and stone her to death. That's why Jesus says, hey, you can throw the stone if you want to. So then here, here's where it gets tricky then. If that's the case, then adultery, I would say, I don't know, but 95, 96, 97, 8% of the time, it happens in secret. And so for these leaders to have caught this woman in the act, they either accidentally walked in or they set this woman up, which then would make them just as guilty as the woman herself. Are you following with me? So he puts them in this very strong dilemma of what are you going to do then? Did you condone this behavior or did you set this behavior up? It's not good for them either way either. That's what I love about Jesus. He takes what seems so concrete and breaks it apart. It's the same with your problems as you bring them to him this morning. Some of you have a hard heart. You've been hurt or something's going on. You're facing financial problems, whatever it may be. And Jesus is able just to take, a, take something and put such a new perspective on it and really flip the script on everything that we're going through. So he puts them in this strange, strange dilemma. Now, here's what's interesting. I believe that Jesus, as he put them in tension, there's been a lot of theories of why Jesus began writing. And I, as I've studied and... Um, Read different commentaries. There are, there are a lot of really great theological um, pieces on, on why he did what he did. But I believe it's really as simple as, take us to, uh, to verse 8. 
Look, it says, then he stooped down again. Now, this is just my belief. And look, it says, and continued writing. That means those guys had a lot of sin. He continued writing. If Jesus was writing out my sins, it'd be like the whole coastline of Panama City Beach, which happens to be where I've done most of my sinning, or a lot of my sinning. But he, he, he takes his finger and he begins writing, and it says he continued writing. And, and maybe many of you have heard this, so... But it's my belief that as Jesus, as he made that comment, he gets down on the ground and he begins writing, and he begins writing out their sin in front of them, and he looks at them, and he looks at one of them, Reagan, and he writes, pride. He looks at the other man and looks up at him in his eye, and he knows his heart, and he writes, lust. He looks up at the other man who's wearing really nice clothes and comes to church every Sunday. And he writes, greedy. If Jesus was drawing in the sand this morning, what would your sin be? What would he write about you? Verse 9. When they heard this, listen. When they heard this, they left one by one. Hang with me, church. Starting with the older men. Now, now this is really, this is important to gather. When they heard this, what's interesting is, listen, what was Jesus doing? So the preacher is giving you permission to speak. What was Jesus doing? And the scripture said that they what? They heard it. They heard it. Jesus is riding in the sand, and it says they heard it. Because sometimes the sins of our lives scream so loud. Though they're silent, they're deafening. That's good, and I just came up with it just now, the Spirit speaking to me. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. This is what's interesting about that. It is also my belief that these older men, that they begin to leave, and let me tell you why. I'm talking to my older Christians in here, and I know that older is a relative term, so you choose what's old. But they left because, listen, the longer you live in Christ, and I know this as a young 30-something man, the longer you live in Christ, the more you realize how much forgiveness He's given you. You realize how much grace you need every single day in Christ. So they left one by one because they realized, hey, I'm guilty as well. I'm guilty as well. They left one by one because as they started seeing their sins written out, they realized, who am I to bring it to this woman and, ju- and, and charge her and, and judge her? And it says, listen, only he was left with the woman in the center. In, in the center. Here's a great picture of what salvation looks like. Once you remove all the excess, once you remove all the people from your life, There Jesus stands with you. Only he was left with the woman in the center. Verse 10. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11. Listen, hear the intimacy in this adulterous woman's voice. No one. Lord. This is what 
Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Listen, some of you, you're here this morning, and one of the greatest things you're missing out on is a relationship with Jesus because you're afraid of condemnation. He, what he told to the adulterous woman, he's telling you this morning, he does not condemn you. Listen, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation, Sabrina. It's the good news. He's telling you this morning, he doesn't condemn you either. And that Jesus said, hey, Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, what this means is not literally go out and live a life of perfection, but he means go out and change your behavior. Turn from what it was that was keeping you away from me. In this case, it was adultery for the woman. But for you, what's keeping you from Jesus this morning? to forgive and maybe you're some of you thinking well you've really not even done a good job of showing what that looks like well I'm not done yet neither do I condemn you said Jesus go and from now on do not sin anymore let me ask you this question what do you call Jesus to you is he is he your Lord is he your Father Savior? Is He a God? Let me show you something really cool. In verse 4, the Pharisees, they called Him Teacher. Teacher, they said to Him. But in verse 11, this broken woman, what does she call Him? What does she call Him? What do you call Jesus this morning? See, what you call Him will determine the level of how He comforts you. If He's just a teacher to you, then all you're ever going to do is try to put Him in a tough situation. But if He is the Lord in your life, then you will experience the freeness of no condemnation and forgiveness. What do you call Jesus this morning? It's a perfect picture of not only forgiveness, but salvation. As this woman whose sin is very blatant, and as we see... In this culture, it was, a, it was a crime that should have been punishable by a humiliating and violent death. Yet the Savior stands in the center with her and says, Hey, I do not condemn you. And that's because she exposed herself and made herself vulnerable. And I want you to pay attention to what Jesus didn't say. He did not... He did not deny her sin, right? He did not say she did not do this. In fact, he did not say, no, she's innocent. Basically, what Jesus did was he took all the evidence that was brought before him and the gavel came down and he said, she's not guilty because my grace is sufficient for you. One day, everybody in here, our lives are basically on trial. And I don't mean to be a pessimist, but it's inevitable that we will face death and we will all face judgment. Someday, we will stand before that throne and it will be our court date, Sabrina. And every decision we made, every life choice that we've lived by will be gathered as evidence before the Father. And if you are in Christ, He will stand there with you at the center and the gap will come down and He will say, not guilty. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. Come on in. Hey, go ahead and stand with me because I'm almost out of time, but I want to share one last thing with you. Can I share one last thing with you before I go? Go ahead, man. Pick it up. You're sounding good. Jesus is more interested in forgiving you 
He's more interested in forgiving you than exploiting you. Somebody needs to know that this morning. See, this adulterous woman stood before him, and how easy would it have been for him to say, listen, basically, you're a terrible woman. You should have stayed in your own home. Some of you this morning, you're coming before him, and you feel like he just wants to exploit you, but he wants to forgive you. That is good news. One last thing to share with you, because I'm out of time and got to go, and the band's sounding good. One last thing. Listen to this right here. In verse 3, take us back to verse 3. Verse 3. It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Listen, in her shame, they made her stand in the center. Verse 11. Are y'all with me? Say, preach it, brother. No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you. He said, go from now on and do not sin anymore. Take us back to verse 10. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? So listen, in this woman's shame, she is made to stand in the center. Now everyone is gone. These people that forced her to be in the center, they've left her. Take us back to verse 9. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Listen, only he was left with the woman in the center. As I go, the men in her shame made her stand in the center. Jesus, by his grace, chose to stand with her in the center. Jesus chooses to be with you this morning. It is a love that's greater than life itself. We celebrate that.